You know, when a brand is consistent across all touch points, the brand equity is that much greater, you know, because your expectation, you're meeting expectations at all of those touch points. Welcome to Now Brands Talk. This is a show for leaders who want to close the brand interaction gap and bridge that tricky divide between brands and the people who love them. Let's listen in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first milestone episode of Now Brands Talk. This is so exciting because not only is this our 15th episode, but it also marks our six-month of producing the pod. It's been six months since we started producing this podcast, which feels like time flies. Um, I'm very excited to be joined today by my co-host, Perry Chakoff. Ruth, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. I love all the guests that you've had on the podcast. And now I, I feel like I, while I'm a co-host, I also feel more like a guest today. So thanks for having me. Well, the feelings are mutual. Are you as excited as I am for today's episode? I'm hyped. Can't contain my energy. <laughs> cool. So um, let's start with this. We've titled this podcast, Now Brands Talk. And this name really was born from our belief that brand interactions are broken. Um, there's this growing gap that we've talked about between what brands promise and how they actually interact with all of the people who care about them. And, and that's what we've called the brand interaction gap. And Perry, you and I are on a mission to investigate this brand interaction gap, what causes it and what can be done to bridge this divide, right? Absolutely. And we've been very thorough in our research, conducting interviews with different leaders across all different parts of any given organization. So we've spoken to people from sales, marketing, customer experience, and even HR to get a more holistic understanding of their perspective of brand interactions and why they're broken. Yeah. And when we do that, my favorite part of each episode is when we ask our guests what their best and worst brand interactions have been. So today we're going to do something really interesting. We're actually going to go deep uh, and look at all of those answers, but really um, consider them more generally and look for overarching patterns across all of those discussions that we've had with our guests. Yeah, I think what's been really exciting for me to see is that there are some strong trends that emerge when you ask people about their best brand interactions. Um, so we want to walk through five of them today. And I think the first one, Ruth, I'm going to pass over to you. Yeah, so one of, one of the themes that we saw recurring was this idea of how a brand can be empathetic and helpful, really like zeroing in to how the customer is feeling and going above and beyond to ease the frustration or angst that they sometimes have with a brand when there's friction. So um, one of my favorite guests, Jed Schneiderman from Cognitive, he's actually an old friend and colleague of mine, and he talked about when he was in line at Starbucks and he was actually trying to order you know, preemptively on his app and he couldn't get it right and he was frustrated and the barista actually walked out from behind the desk and he was waiting in line and she helped him to leverage this technology for a more seamless experience. And so um, I think that's a great example of how a brand can be empathetic and helpful. She really was able to feel what he was feeling and to help him to overcome that. 
Um, so I loved that example. Another great example uh, was Bailey from Air Asia, their chief customer happiness officer. Um, she talked about how she bought this uh, costume for her young son. I think he was like five or six, six years old. She bought him this astronaut suit and he was so excited about it and he wanted to put it on and when she took it out of the bag she realized that the security tag was still on it and so he couldn't wear it he was super disappointed and so they went back to the store and um, it was really meaningful to her and her son particularly because the store clerk um, not only got him a new costume with the tags removed but helped him to put it on so that he could wear it home in the car and he was so excited and what I loved about that is that kids more than any really recognize empathy um, they can tell when somebody's being really authentic along those lines so I thought that that was a great example as well that's so sweet I can just imagine that kid didn't take off the costume for like 72 hours I'm sure that. I'm sure for sure I have a good example as well from uh, Tyler Mima at Wealthsimple he told this really wholesome story about being on an airplane, which airlines usually don't get a lot of love on this podcast, but this was a great shout out to an airline uh, where the flight attendant was notified that there was a newlywed couple on the flight and it was an overnight flight to, to Europe. It's probably an Air Canada flight coming from Toronto. And so this flight attendant really went above and beyond and upgraded this couple to first class, which is a big deal when you're flying overnight. So I think it's an example of really being empathetic. You know, these people just got married. They're probably exhausted from all their planning and, and, yep. and the wedding. Um, and so being able to be boosted up to first class on an overnight flight is, is pretty sweet and really going a long way for the customer. Definitely. All right, so that sums up our first trend. Uh, I wanna go a little bit deeper now into the second theme that we noticed, which is personalization. So the best brand interactions we've heard about have been highly personalized. One example we have is from Craig at Partner Hero, who shared an example of a restaurant that he used to frequent in England. He hadn't been there in a while, and when he went back, the people there remembered him, knew what he wanted to order, remembered the wine that he liked and just made him feel really like a valued customer. And I think that's what personalization really did in this example. Yeah, personalization is is the theme that I think for me is the most powerful. And I've got two great examples from our podcast. The, fir the first is from Anna Skidmore at BFA. Um, and she talked about um, how she ordered from a brand and there was a handwritten note in her package from really the person who packaged it. And what I thought was really profound about that example is that she it really demonstrates how even the most automated, standardized supply chain can insert that personalized touch and make all of the difference in the world so that the experience is very meaningful for the person who receives the package. So um, to me, it was just a great representation of how, you know, automation, standardization, if you can add those personalized elements, it really makes that customer experience so much more special. Um, the other example that really springs to mind is Justin from Square. He talked about Nike and you know, he talked about it in almost an emotional way about how the Nike brand makes him feel. And the Nike brand is very iconic, but he talked about how, you know, from the store experience to the online experience to the app experience, that the brand experience across all of those touch points and channels is so personalized that it really taps into how you are feeling as an athlete or in this case I think he was talking about when he runs that feeling that he gets when he runs and that the brand has been able to evoke those feelings in a really really intimate kind of way so I two great examples of personalized 
I love that example from Justin. I can just imagine him running in his Nikes and, and like living the brand as he's running. Totally. So moving on now to the third theme that we came across, and I, I think some of these are definitely kind of related. The third theme that came up for us is proactive. Some of the best brand interactions we've heard about are where the brand actually makes the first move. Uh, definitely something that we're seeing coming up time and time again in these examples. So, so one that I have is from Zach at Robin was talking about a vendor he was working with who proactively reached out to offer support. I think generally when we're reaching out to a company for support, it's because something's gone wrong. And if you think about it, it's it's almost a nuisance that I have to tell them something has gone wrong. It's way better in this case for Zach that the vendor reached out to him to say, hey, we know this is a problem. Here's how to solve it. Not only does it prevent him from needing to submit a ticket, but the experience is so much easier for him because the company was reaching out to him proactively. So I love that example. Yeah, and that's a good segue into the next theme, which is all about ease. You know, we talked about how um, brands with empathy help you to resolve that feeling of frustration at those friction points. But some of the best customer experiences are the ones that don't have those friction points in the first place. Um, so that easy and really effortless experience, you know, that that emerged as a trend across several podcasts. So Rob from Helsum, he talked about his buying experience at Tesla, that it's very transparent. You know what you're paying for, you know, you know what it's going to cost, you know what you're getting, there's no negotiating, no BS, it's very well communicated, all of the information that you need is very readily available, and so it's just a completely seamless experience. Um, so I, you know, it's a very modern brand, so that's not surprising, um, and it's what customers have come to expect. Um, which brings me to another example, Logan from Sweetfish. He talked about order tracking with Amazon, and Amazon, Amazon actually came up several times in the podcast. And what strikes me about Amazon, even though in some ways it might seem like an obvious choice, but I think Amazon has set the standard about easy and effortless. Like it's really what we've all come to expect when you're purchasing something online is that you should be able to do it with ease, without any effort, in a moment, with the click of a button. Returns should be easy. Tracking should be easy. And so um, Logan kind of highlighted that in his example, which I think is very relatable for all of us. I'm starting to hear Amazon come up more and more as a brand that other companies want to emulate. And it's not necessarily direct competitors to Amazon. Amazon is now setting the bar for what digital experience should be like with any brand. And it's not just e-commerce companies. It's I think they're setting the bar for what it means to have an easy and effortless experience in their product. Absolutely. And don't you think that's even more so the case because of the pandemic? I think it just drove so much urgency around that because people turned to Amazon for all of their needs. A hundred percent. And at the same time, there was this push not only to to buy online from Amazon, because that was one of the only ways we could buy products, but there was also this trend towards buying local. And I think it encouraged people to support local business and then local businesses had to level up too because now they were mm. competing with Amazon in a much bigger way than they had been previously. So anyways. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Awesome. Okay, so now I, I want to move on to our, our final theme. And again, I think a lot of these are related, but we really specifically wanted to call out that the best brand interactions are consistent and reliable. I think when you know you can rely on a brand to have the same experience every time builds a lot of trust. Um, and I think David from A2X had a really great example of that with Jiffy. So I personally love Jiffy too. It's a Toronto-based uh, software company, um, a marketplace for basically Uber for anything in your house that needs fixing. You need a plumber, you need an electrician, you need your 
oven, you know, reinstalled, anything like that. And so he spoke about how every single time he connects to Jiffy, the experience is very consistent. It's really easy for him to find the right vendor to come into his home, to schedule with them, to follow up, to get everything that he needs from the platform. And I, I think that's a really great example of what it means to offer seamless and consistent experiences across the entire customer journey. Yeah, and you know, when a brand is consistent across all touch points, the brand equity is that much greater, you know, because your expectation, you're meeting expectations at all of those touch points, across all of those channels, at all points in the journey. Um, so when I spoke with Mega from Assembled, she gave a similar example. Um, she called out Trader Joe's. Um, and, you know, she, again, like there was a lot of emotion attached to this example. She said she just loves knowing what she's going to get, being able to walk into the store and it's familiar and joyful and the employees are always so friendly. She knows what the product's going to be like. And so, you know, she knows what to expect and those expectations are always met. So I think that that notion of consistency is is becoming increasingly important to brands as they transform digitally because it's not always so easy to preserve that same brand experience online as it is in store. And to the extent that you can do it with consistency, your brand is going to be that much stronger. I totally agree. I think the in-store representatives of your brand are exactly that. And there there's definitely a struggle for businesses that are both retail or have a physical space and online, how do you maintain that consistent experience regardless of how someone is interacting with your brand? I think it'd be fair to call it a channel, the in-person channel or the digital channel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So we've walked now through the five trends that we noticed when we talked to all of our podcast guests about their best brand interactions. But of course, we also asked them about the interactions that maybe didn't go so well. And so we've done a little bit of uh, very scientific analysis on some of the worst brand interactions that our podcast guests shared with us. And we have a couple themes here that we want to share. Now, the first one I think is just standard now. Um, and, and I think will really resonate with people is that the worst brand interactions make it really difficult to reach a human. So Ruth, I think you have a good example here. Yeah. And, you know, this is a very relatable thing. I think we've all been there when you're super frustrated and you've got to sit on hold for hours on end or you've got to search through a website on how it is that you can actually reach somebody. So Ben from Pair Eyewear, um, and he was actually our very first guest. Um, and in these bad examples, we're not going to call out the brands by name, but he mentioned a rideshare company that shall remain nameless and how it was impossible to reach them, that he searched for an email address or a live chat channel or a phone number and he just abs he was like stuck in this loop where he just could not get his issue resolved I've been there I've been there even with an unnamed rideshare company it is incredibly frustrating and it's hard it's hard to imagine that a brand in this case would be able to sustain their reputation without a broken sense of trust I think it's something that brands increasingly are going to have to address in earnest as these expectations rise about how it is that people expect that their uh, issues to be resolved I can tell you nothing makes me feel less valued as a customer than when a brand doesn't want to talk to me and making yeah. it impossible to contact a human is just like the number one example of, of how to lose my trust. Yeah. I have an example as well. So Logan from Sweetfish, who uh, was one of Ruth's guests, talked about his experience with a contractor that was doing work on his house and he could never get in touch with them. He always had to initiate the contact. And I think, you know, 
it's a little bit different. You're talking about a rideshare company where maybe the cost of your ride is like, what, 20 to $50 or something. Contractors working in your house, we're talking about big money. And if people are not available to you or you have to initiate or they're not contacting you when something goes wrong, it's just a terrible experience. We recently did uh, a small reno here and I, for this exact reason, used a personal friend because while, while maybe there were other risks involved there, I, I couldn't fathom working with someone who wasn't going to make it easy for me to contact them. Yeah, well, we I built a house in the last couple of years. We also, we used, this is probably dangerous, some people might think, but we used a family member. Um, but I knew that if there was an issue, I'd be able to contact him. <laughs> yep. I, I, I knew relate. how to reach him. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't escape. So um, yeah, that's a great example. I remember when Logan spoke about that and he, I could still sense his frustration. All right, moving on now to the next trend that we saw in some of the worst interactions is when you do get to speak to a human, but they're unhelpful or they're unempathetic. I don't know what's worse, not being able to talk to someone or getting to talk to someone, and it's just not the quality of the interaction that you were hoping for. So Rob from Helsin, poor Rob, talked about renting a car in Vegas, and he had so many problems with this car. It didn't have enough gas. It was absolutely filthy. And I think the from his experience, the people who were working that day in person at the um, car rental company were just not empathetic and just not helpful. And he, he just could not catch a break. So even though he's standing face to face with people, he's just not getting the help that he needed. I can't imagine how frustrating that was. Definitely. And you mentioned earlier, uh, you called out a great experience with an airline. Unfortunately, uh, I think airlines have been top of mind over the last couple of years, and they were mentioned more than once uh, on this podcast when we asked for negative experiences. Um, And Anna BFA called that out. We need to cut airlines a little bit of slack, I think, uh, in light of the pandemic and all of the issues that they've had to deal with. I can only imagine that for a lot of the customer support workers um, at so many different airlines, it must have been incredibly challenging time. But I think that in many cases that was translated into like a very unhelpful, unempathetic experience for the customer on the other side. And Anna called that out that uh, she just, you know, could not get her inquiry resolved. She couldn't get in touch with anyone. When she did, there was not a lot of sympathy for her circumstances, which for Anna was incredibly frustrating. At the end of the day, brands need to prioritize the interests of their customers. And I think that airlines in many cases are revisiting how they can strengthen that trust that uh, was eroded over the course of the pandemic. There's Um, a huge opportunity now for the airlines. Sorry to interject. I just think the fact that they had such a rough road for the past two years now has set the stage for, I think there to be real competition in earning customer loyalty with great brand interactions. Absolutely. You know, I'm starting to book travel now again, and I'm very mindful now of how, you know, the ease with which I'm able to do that. Can I get in touch with somebody to coordinate this trip? Um, What does the digital experience look like? So I do think the winning airlines are going to be the ones that are able to meet their customers where they're at in a helpful, empathetic, seamless way. Um, And I think airlines, because of what they've gone through, realize that. Um, that that's the new expectation. Um, Worth calling out that when it comes to unhelpful, unempathetic experiences, Justin from Square had a great example. He talked about an internet service provider, and I'm afraid this was another common theme, um, probably uh, exacerbated by the pandemic as well, when so many people became so dependent on their internet. Um, And again, he just 
you know, was forced to wait and couldn't get a hold of anyone and was, you know, thrown into a loop where his issues were not addressed. So I think another industry where we're going to see a lot of disruption um, as customer customer expectations have changed. Totally agree with you. And the last example I want to share uh, is from Mega at Assembled. Um, this one is really cringe for me, is that she waited on hold for an hour and a half uh, to speak with someone at the bank only to find out that the call center was closed, which is just uh, like, oh, it's avoidable, right? All the, all she had to know when she was first waiting was that the wait was 90 minutes. The call center closes at this time. Do you want to hold or not? Maybe they should have even offered her a callback option. Can you can we book an appointment to call you back tomorrow? But instead, she wasted 90 minutes on hold, hopefully multitasking and doing something else at the same time, but waited a long time on hold to find out she wasn't going to get to speak with someone. And that's just that time suck, I think, loses trust immediately. Definitely. Definitely infuriating. And now, finally, moving on to the last trend that emerged when we talk about the worst brand interactions that our customers have is impersonal interactions or having to repeat yourself multiple times. Um, so Craig from Partner Hero had a good example of trying to reach out to uh, to a company. He tried Twitter, he tried email, he tried phone. So like when I personally go to Twitter, that's really like a last ditch attempt. I know it probably doesn't make me look great to message you on Twitter. So for Craig to go to Twitter and email and to phone this company is just an example of how difficult they are to reach. Um, and despite reaching out in all these different channels, the brand wasn't aware of who he was, wasn't aware that he had reached out on these multiple channels and didn't remember him, um, which is so unfortunate, right? I, I think so often we talk about how it's actually a good problem to have that your customers want to talk to you. And if you make the experience bad in every single channel that they reach out to you, you won't have your customers contacting you anymore. And I think once upon a time that used to be like, oh great, our customers aren't contacting us. And I just think that, um, you know, customer loyalty just doesn't operate that that way anymore. I agree. And Bailey from AirAsia had a very similar example. She spoke about a telco. Now, in this case, it really wasn't um, omni-channel in a digital sense. It was a phone experience, but she kept getting transferred from one department to the next. And with each transfer, and we've all been there, I know I have, she had to repeat all of her information over and over again, um, which is a very frustrating experience. And, you know, I always joke that my kids, my, my grandchildren are likely going to laugh at these experiences that they ever existed because it will just become table stakes that the brand knows who you are before you even get on the call with them. And certainly you would never have, and probably not even getting on a call, right? Like you're probably not servicing your customers with phone first, but at a minimum, um, you shouldn't have to repeat yourself over and over again. It's just a very, very impersonal experience that I don't think will exist 10 years from now. I certainly hope not. I hope we don't have to wait 10 years, Ruth. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we've covered 10 different trends, five of them positive, five of them not so positive. Um, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of great learning on this podcast so far. I'm so excited for the episodes that are coming. Um, and I'm delighted that you're going to continue to co-host with me, Perry. So uh, we thought it would be fun. You know, we end our episodes with a lightning round so that we can get to know our guests a little bit more. Um, we're going to do that with each other now. So I have a few uh, questions for you. I know you have a few questions for me. We haven't seen them, so we're going to put each other on the spot. I think we can just go uh, back and forth. So I'll shoot one at you, and then you can shoot one at me, and then our listeners can get to know us as the co-hosts a little bit better. Sound good? Let's do it. Yep. 
Okay, so Perry, your first question, which might seem like an obvious question for anyone who knows you, because we all know that you are a potato fanatic. So my first question is, what is your favorite form of potato? I know, it's the running joke around here. It's like the icebreaker that I use every single time I talk to people. It's like, oh, my favorite food is potatoes. And I've just become that person eternally, Data. Any <laughs> potato thread I get tagged in, and it just makes my day. I have to say, I'm really a sucker for any kind of fried potato. So I do well with fries and curly fries. And honestly, I think the best is waffle fries, which didn't come up in the recent Serious Eats starch madness brackets, which I'm a little upset about. But waffle fries, it's just, it's like lattice fries, I guess is another word for it. There's just so much surface area that gets crispy. Anyways, <laughs> I could have a whole podcast about potatoes. No one wants to hear me talk about this forever. I, I think I'm a potato fan myself. I think we should do an episode on that. So <laughs> I think we should ask people alongside their best and worst brand interactions, what is their most and least favorite? I, I don't really want to know their least favorite, to be honest, but their most favorite incarnation of potatoes. I think that would be a worthwhile addition. I'm, d- I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Question I have for you, Ruth, is do you have any pets? I do. I have two dogs. Um... And they're old, they're senior dogs. So Brody was our first dog and he is 12. And he is a little white Havanese, uh, neurotic, very needy, but adorable dog. We love him very much. Um, And then when Brody was about four, we got Bella, who is a rescue. We think she's about the same age. And we think she's a schnauzer pug mix. And she is honestly the most easygoing, loving, wonderful dog. Um, they say, you know, somebody once told me that the rescue dogs, they, you know, they know, they sense that you've rescued them. And and I feel that is absolutely the case with Bella. She's just, I love both of the dogs dearly, but she's a very special dog. That's very sweet. Yeah. So, and you have a dog, don't you? I do. I have a, a nine-year-old poodle named Maverick who we also rescued um, nice. He's asleep on the couch right now in a hilarious position. I wish you could see him. <laughs> I've got both of mine asleep next to me too. So Perry, you're up next. Tell uh, our listeners, what is your best lazy weekend activity? We are definitely a puzzle and game household. So this weekend, for example, uh, my sister stayed with us for the weekend and she brought us an escape room in a box where you have to do a puzzle first, like a thousand piece puzzle. And then all of the clues are in the puzzle. It doesn't match the box. Anyways, it took us hours like I'm embarrassed at how long this took us but it really hooked (laughs) us uh and it's just a thing you can do at home in your pajamas so yes we really like escape games and puzzles and things like that nice love that okay question for you Ruth which is the total opposite of what you've just asked me which is would you ever go skydiving yeah, that's an easy one for me to answer. Uh, unequivocally, no, I will never, ever go skydiving, I suppose, unless the airplane was on fire and I had no choice. But God forbid. I, I'm oh a, God. God for, well, I'm a very, very phobic flyer, extremely phobic. I have all of these rituals I have to go through. So the sky, like, I would not enjoy skydiving, but for me, the maybe the hardest part of skydiving would be going up in the plane. My daughter went skydiving when she was 18. It was an awful day for me. I had a terrible migraine the entire day. I was a ball of nerves. But when she described to me the experience of just getting up there in the plane, they don't take you up like in a plane that you imagine. It's like this empty cargo holds and like they they anchor you down to the train the plane with like a bungee cord and I the whole experience like no way definitely no. You couldn't. It's a hard no. There's no amount of money in the world you could pay me to do that. Agreed. 
Totally I'm so agree. glad we're on the same page about this. Yes. Yes. No team outings where we're all collectively going skydiving. I promise. I promise that will never happen. Um, okay, let's move off of skydiving because it gives me anxiety. Um, where is the next place you plan to travel now that it's opening back up? Oh, I've waited two years. I'm so excited. We're finally going to Israel for the last two weeks of April. I can't wait. Um, yes, I am nervous about the plane. I'm already thinking about how I'm going to handle this very exceedingly long flight. I'm really hoping it won't be busy and I can stretch out across three seats and just cover myself in pillows and pretend that it's not happening. But it's going to be worth it to have two weeks in the hot sun on the beach uh, with some really, really good food. Beautiful. I love that. I'm also going to Israel in July. So uh, it's a wonderful place to go. Awesome. So excited for you. And my last question for you is, Ruth, uh, are you in a book club or have you ever been in a book club? So I'm not in a book club. Um, I do like to read. I read mostly on vacation. Um, I just finished the book A Little Life, which was beautiful. Um, I was, though, in a book club for probably about 12 years. We met uh, once a month, but we very rarely read books. We actually did all of these other fun activities. We did painting and cooking and we had speakers club speakers come and we did clothing swaps and we did a lot of really really interesting things but we almost never read any books at the time we were all like moms with little kids and we didn't have a lot of time and I think our intention was to read more and that just never happened Um, so we called it a book club but it really wasn't a book club I like it it was a front telling the family sorry gotta go out tonight it's book club (laughs) that's exactly what it was with wine it was really an excuse to drink wine and do something fun nice Um, now I was inspired to ask you this question because you have a a color coordinated bookshelf that people comment on frequently so I copied you I also have a rainbow bookshelf so I think um, if maybe we'll start a book club and we will then start the rainbow book club podcast That sounds like a great idea. And in fact, whether we actually read books or just do fun activities with wine remains to be seen, but it will be the Rainbow Book Club. Yeah, you have to you have to color coordinate your book club to be a member, your your bookshelf to be a member. Nice. Okay, so uh, that was a great lightning round. Uh, We're going to wrap up because we're running out of time. Um, But there's a lot of stuff to look forward to on this podcast. Um, And Now Brands Talk is going to undergo some exciting change. um, And our regular listeners are going to notice that we'll be making some improvements. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about the new additions, actually. I think they're going to make the show even more engaging and valuable to our listeners. Yeah, we're going to actually, we're going to have an email address. So you can email us at podcast at ada.support so that you can ask any of your burning brand interaction questions or make suggestions on who, who we should have as guests or just to share feedback on the show. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us. Uh, Your feedback is definitely going to help us make sure we're creating the content that you are most interested in. Yeah, and because there's been so much interest in the content that we have on this podcast, we're going to be setting up a newsletter where we'll deliver exclusive bonus content from each episode. So you'll get even more than you get on these podcasts. We'll definitely let you know when that's ready. So stay tuned for more details. So thank you, Perry, for being such a wonderful co-host. I learned so much from you on your episodes. They're actually my favorite ones. (laughs) It's much nicer than listening to myself. (laughs) I feel the same way about your podcast episodes. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really fun. Definitely. And if our listeners would like to hear more conversations about how we close the brand interaction gap, you can subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. 
You've been listening to Now Brands Talk, a podcast by Ada. Stay connected by subscribing to the show, leaving us a rating and comment, and emailing us your feedback and questions at podcast at ada.support. Your support and feedback ensure future episodes will address your interests with fresh discussion and insight about how brands talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time.